We are very pleased today to bring our friend Jay Bhattacharya back. Of course, Dr. Bhattacharya is a Stanford professor who was, uh, who is, from my opinion, has become uh, the poster child of the excesses of the pandemic. The fact that they chose to attack him says everything I need to know about how far they went from ethics and uh, the truth. Dr. Bhattacharya is a professor of medicine at Stanford University, a research associate at the National Bureau of Economics Research, senior fellow at the Stanford Institute for Economic Policy Research. He's a, a multiply awarded teacher at the medical school. And uh, recently he uh, was uh, interested in some FOIA documents where the CDC released documents about their uh, MMWR, the Morbidity, Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, uh, and the redactions suggest uh, a scandal of significant proportions. We will get into that more and hope for your calls with Dr. Jay Bhattacharya after this. Our laws as it pertains to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying, you go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. You can spend thousands of dollars trying to look a few years younger, or you can skip all of that hassle and go with what works. Genucel Skincare. Genucel is the secret to better skin. In fact, you might have witnessed the astonishing effects of Genucel during a recent unplanned moment on our show, when just a little Genucel XV restored my skin within minutes right before your eyes. That's how fast these products work. I know I'm a snob about the products I use on my face. Everybody knows it. Every time I go to the dermatologist's office, they're just rows and rows of different creams. And then when I get to the counter, they're overpriced. All kinds of products that you can all find at GenuCell.com. Susan and I love GenuCell so much, we've created our own bundles so you can try our favorite anti-wrinkle treatments, correcting serums, and ultra-retinol creams. Just go to GenuCell.com Drew. Use the code Drew for an extra discount and free priority shipping. Again, that is genucel.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash D-R-E-W. Back, a reminder that next week our shows will be on Monday and Tuesday at 3 o'clock Pacific. And on Tuesday, Kelly will join us for Dr. Joseph Latipo, the Surgeon General for the state of Florida. There is the upcoming guest there. And remember, Chom Rent's coming back on June 28th to give us an update on his findings on the EcoHealth Alliance. Uh, today, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, you can follow him on Twitter, DRJ Bhattacharya. I'm going to spell it for you, B-H-A-T-T-A-C-H-A-R-Y-A. I dare you to say that twice. Uh, and he, as I mentioned, is a professor of medicine at Stanford University. He was one of the authors of the, um, the great uh, Barrington Declaration and for daring to suggest that there might be other ways of handling this pandemic other than draconian lockdowns. He was literally targeted by officials in our government. And we now have the smoking gun emails where all of that was made explicit. Dr. Bhattacharya, welcome back. Oh, we, I don't have his sound. I can't hear him. Can you hear him, everybody? One second. He's there. Dr. Bhattacharya. 
Can but you hear I'm me not okay? hearing it for some reason. There, he is. there you are. Now we got you. All right. I don't know excellent. what happened, but I got you back. All right. Excellent indeed. Uh, so yeah, I, this the you know I know I noticed since the last time I talked to you a couple things. Uh, one is I saw Anthony Fauci talking about the Great Barrington Declaration, defending himself for having uh, been you know uh, ridiculous in his efforts to silence people associated with it, alleging that you were alleging just let it rip, just let this thing tear through the population, don't do anything, which could not be further from what this declaration suggested. Yeah, I mean, we were calling for focused protection of vulnerable people. I mean, I don't know if he read the declaration. That's like the most important idea in the declaration is that uh, we know that there was a huge difference in the risk of severe disease from old to young. Young people, very, very, very low risk. Young, old people, much higher risk. So we were calling for focused protection of vulnerable people. You know, I, I can give you a concrete thing. If we'd followed it, what would have done better? And I think everyone, even Tony Fauci would agree. If you remember the early days of the pandemic, Drew, that, that we sent COVID-infected patients to nursing homes. Why do we yes, do that? We because, because the goal was, was protecting hospital systems. What if instead right. the goal had been protecting lives of people, specifically right. people we knew to be at risk, older people? We, would have, we never would have sent COVID-infected patients to nursing homes. I think this idea that a call for focused protection is let it rip, I think it actually costs lives. Oh, oh, absolutely. Well, no doubt. And now we have the IEA, the international, what is their actual title? I, I can't find it. It's, a, it's an economics uh, consortium. Uh, Dr. Steve Hankey from uh, Hopkins, uh, sort of lead author in this essentially book uh, entitled Did Lockdowns Work? The Verdict on COVID Restrictions. And it is damning. What did you think about that report? I mean, it is a meticulous study of every single evaluation of the of the lockdowns. Uh, I think it's mainly, it's mainly focused on the spring 2020 lockdowns to try to say, okay, what, were they necessary? And if you put yourself back then, uh, you can remember there were these like projections from you know the Imperial College model people, models, Neil Ferguson models. Yeah, yes. they, like they basically they have these models where like people are like lab rats, and if you keep people apart like lab rats, the the disease can't spread. And oh gosh, you've you've solved, you saved. Uh, I think the estimate in the U.S. was two million people would die within a month or yeah. two. If we didn't lock down. Yeah. March twenty twenty. Um, yeah. And uh, the the when you look at actually what actually happened when you compare places that had draconian lockdowns versus the places that didn't, like you know more like Sweden. The estimates you find, according to uh, you know Dr. Hankey, who who, did, who conducted this uh, meticulous evaluation, is that in the U.S. the the early spring lockdowns maybe saved four thousand lives, and they're not even saved. It's like you know put into the future by a couple of months when people got COVID. Um, right. And so you right. know that, and you have to put that against the absolutely devastating harms the lockdowns have done. You know, people skipping cancer treatments. Uh, locking kids at home with abusive parents, uh, a domestic violence, uh, you people people dying at home with heart attacks. Uh, you have all these like excess deaths that you see now that are the long tails of those lockdowns from from depression, mm -hmm. um, you know, fentanyl overdoses, and so on. All all, all well, that. Well, they make like, a yeah. 
they make a very big issue of the mental health consequences, which I was screaming about at the beginning. It was highly predictable. Just, I mean, just how about the eight to 15 year olds? Let's take a nine year old and tell them to hide under their bed, shelter in place. And if you come outside, you're going to kill your parents or your grandparents. And then isolate these kids from other peers. It is disgusting. It, how, how they could not have known that was going to have horrible effects is just, I, I, they were just on some sort of evangelical manic run of some type right you know what happened it, it's like it's as if they forgot that health is a lot more than just the avoidance of a single infectious disease and then and that we have ethical obligations in in medicine and in public health not to divide people against each other i mean like what like what public health did it basically reinforced the idea that we're biohazards and that, that we have to treat yeah. each other as biohazards um i mean yeah. You know, like you have to have community. We have to have people interacting with each other. Kids have to play with each other. I mean, is that a complex? It's not even a. Is, I didn't realize that you had to go to medical school for learning that. But apparently, people that go into medical school forgot that for a while. Um, and yeah. you're right, Drew. It was absolutely 100% predictable that they would have these harmful effects on the psychology of 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 of, of kids and of actually basically everybody. Um, and we're seeing that play itself well, out sure. now. Uh, in yeah. Yeah, for sure, everybody. I mean, but kids, it's just, it was devastation. It's ridiculous. And then and the economic effects, and of course, the most at risk are the ones that carried the biggest burden of all this. It, it's just, it, and, and as I want to sort of put a little focus on something you said at the beginning of your. Uh, uh, statement about the models and the lockdown, which was that maybe save 4,000 lives during a certain window, 4,000 lives that were going to be lost from COVID down the road anyway, or that were lost to COVID down the road anyway. So that 4,000 lives that they preserve across a two-month window were not preserved indefinitely. No, it's, it's basically kick the can down the road at great cost. Right. And, and now right. you could make an argument, let's just steel man this, like you can make an argument to say, okay, well, kicking the can down the road might make some sense because, well, we'll just wait until we get the vaccine. And if we just kick the can yeah. down the road long enough, but the problem is like the longer you do the lockdown, the more those harms we talked about to human health happen. It's not yes. like it's, yeah. like they die down over time. They get worse and worse and worse. So, you know, like I'll give you an, a, a, you again, you don't have to do this hypothetical. You can look, look what happened in China when they did zero COVID. It was a tremendously ridiculous, you know, sort of authoritarian kind of way they did went about. Like there was stories of locking up apartment buildings, and so people couldn't get out because of a, a single COVID case. And then when a fire broke out, they died in the fire. When you got a yeah. positive test case in China, you would be thrown into this like quarantine facility um, for weeks. They'd kill your dogs and cats that were pets because they'd be afraid. They were afraid like your dogs and cats would have COVID. Um, I mean, it was it was an absolutely draconian policy. And what happened? Everyone in China got COVID. Right, right. They, and they let it rip anyway. Now, I, I guess, you know, one of the things I've been toying with was trying to, not toying with, but trying to, again, from a steel man perspective and give the best possible spin on these things, think about the way we might have interfered with alpha and delta which was really the much more serious illness you know, omicron was a altogether different phenomenon even though we didn't really acknowledge that until we were six months into the omicron but that's a separate matter but you know i kind of feel like the vaccines while they were uh, overhyped and overstated and were not as effective as, as possible i kind of feel like they probably did interrupt the the sort of the the um the march of the of the of the pandemic at that 
time. And I can, I can again, say eh, maybe some of the distancing maybe did a little something-something, but, but not much. I mean, after all, we were focused on six-feet distancing when we knew this thing aerosolized and goes 30 to 60 feet. So what, And we knew that the surgical masks were useless, and yet we were... <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but but the point being is, I, I do think we probably did take some measures. And you could even steel man uh, China and say, well, during the Alpha and Delta, they kind of suppressed things okay. And uh, they continued to try to suppress it with Omicron and then let it run. But that wasn't Alpha Delta. It was Omicron that they let run. I mean, there's there's some benefit to those things, it seems to me. Yeah. So, I mean, like, like let's, let's like, so Alpha happens in early 2021 and Delta happens later in 2021. By then we have vaccines, right? So, like, what's yeah. the optimal policy? Like, we, it's a vaccine that we now know, and actually, I pretty much should have suspected then that doesn't stop you from getting or transmitting, but does re does yeah. reduce the probability of dying. So, what's the right thing to do? Right. But, so but, the but right hang thing on. To do but is, hang on. I want I want to push back a little bit. It does it does have some effect on contagion in the first three months, doesn't it? Or am I misreading yeah, it that? Does. Absolutely. So, so, so it interrupts something. It interrupts something, right? I mean, yeah, it's not a, a like zero interruption. What that does is pushes off into the future when you're going to get it. Um, and okay, fair enough. Fair enough. So, so like, so, so the issue is like, what's the right way to deal with a tech to use a technology like that to save human life? The right way to do it is like vaccinate older people, the ones who are at the highest risk of yeah. dying, because that you reduce yeah. the risk of dying the most. For younger people, I mean, you know, there's side effects of this thing. I don't know what they all are. And the benefit is pretty small for this because the risk of dying from COVID is pretty small for, for, for you know, children, for instance. So, you know, don't make that a priority. Make that something where you can go talk to your doctor if it's right for you. Um, and, then, uh, and, then, and then let people go back to their life. So, so like the China, you, let's we take your steam out, CLM argument for China. We had the vaccines. China had the vaccines in January 2021. Why did they wait until 2022 to st really start vaccinating in earnest and then go to zero COVID for a full year? Um, you, you, they basically left their, their population vulnerable. You see this also, by the way, in Australia, where like they, they, they claimed credit for like uh, get, getting rid of the virus from the island for 2020. Then the vaccine comes and they wait until like late September to really get their vaccine campaign started in earnest. So for a full you know, nine months, they had their population under lockdown for nothing. Well, why all the focus on vaccinating children? I, I, that's still mysterious to me. The extreme push. I understand if parents want it, and you know people want to get vaccinated, they should. But this extreme push for uh, young people seems hard for me to understand. I mean, I thought long and hard about this because it doesn't make it doesn't make sense from a medical point of view, really. Like, because you, what you're saying is like, take this risk of, of, you know, myocarditis or whatever. It's not an enormous risk, but some for basically no benefit. So why would you recommend that? I think there's two things. Like right. one is people thought early on that, you know, say 2021, early 2021, the vaccine would stop transmission for a long time. They didn't have a basis for thinking that. The randomized trials didn't show that. But they they hoped. Like I saw a clip of the of the the CDC director Rochelle Walensky saying, "Oh, she when she saw this, she hoped that it would it would last like you know like the measles vaccine lasts forever." Um, they were wrong, right? And so if but if that's true, if you think that that's true, then you basically can get herd immunity if a sufficiently large fraction of the population is vaccinated. That means you have to vaccinate kids to get there, and so they they're like basing basing policy on that like so but even that i think is unethical drew because like now you're asking kids to take a risk that they don't need to take 
in order to benefit other people. We as society yes. generally don't do that, which is adults that take the risk for kids, yes. not the other way around. Um, right. So, and then the other thing- so Would you come think, up with an idea why they're, why they're doing this? I mean, I think they thought they, they just, they were like hoping that the vaccine would be better. The other thing is a psychological thing. I mean, you basically, public health basically made it so that everyone's a biohazard, right? And kids, especially, we close schools on the idea that they're like super spreaders. I saw a Biden advisor, Andy Slavitt, send out a tweet at one point saying that the kids were like mosquitoes, uh, vectors of disease. Huh. Um, oh my God. And so you have this like notion that kids are unclean and now you have this technology that can make them clean. You just vaccinate them. It's like baptism by vaccine. Um, and I think it was, it wasn't like a lot of it wasn't actual scientific medical thinking. It was just a reaction to panic and fear that the public health itself yes. had induced. Yes, yes, it's exactly that. And, and they, but I, yet I'm still seeing ads and commentaries. I mean, look, last week, I think it was, there was that study that came out that showed that most of the transmission of Omicron was in the home from children, which, Maybe. I mean, look, children transmit a lot of viral illnesses. You know, talk to any uh, parent of a seven-year-old who's going to preschool. A lot of stuff comes home. And by the way, they locked us in the home. Where else were we going to get Omicron <laughs> except in the home where we were locked? But be that as it may, what what was that? Was that a legitimate study? And that they that were using it as a reason to mandate ch childhood vaccination. Okay, so that study, I looked very carefully at it because it was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. Uh, first of all, uh, it's, it's based on like a, a temperature-taking app, right? So you have to decide you're going to report it. Um, and then, then, you know, like, I don't know about you, Drew, but like when my kids were little, I would take their temperature occasionally, but I never take my temperature. Even if I have a fever, I, never, I just don't right. do it. You can see it yeah, in their true. data. True. Mostly it's like people true. are taking and the, and, the, and, the, and the key outcome in the app was, did you did the kid have a temperature before an adult in the house? They didn't check for a single person to have COVID. They were just looking for who had fevers first. So they didn't even know that they had COVID in the study, either person. Jeez. And from that, they concluded right. the kids spread the disease to adults. You know, it contradicts a whole body of evidence, like very careful evidence with contact tracing and genetic, genetic uh, sequencing of the viruses in Iceland and elsewhere that found that actually kids are not super spreaders. You can get the disease, they can spread the disease, but they don't, they're not like particularly yeah. high risk of spreading the disease compared to adults. Right. It's just not true. And then I wanna circle back to the IEA publication. Tell me more about what you thought of that, because that, that to me is, I think, I hope, well, the way people are, they're so weird in their cognitive dissonance. I, I feel like this should be the last word on lockdowns, but I'm afraid it's not gonna be. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, when you have very strong prior that prior that it works, and actually, not just a prior that it works, you you have a very strong uh, interest in making like you're, you you've you've your Tony Fauci, you've recommended a lockdown. Now these like you know geeky scientists come along and say, oh, it didn't work, but you're you've like plunged the world into like all you know huge amounts of, of problems as a consequence. You don't want to believe that you did nothing. That's that's the that's the cognitive mm -hmm. distance I think you'll see. But if any fair mm -hmm. reading of this this piece. This book by this by this group, will, you'll lead the same conclusion that they did, right? That um, when you carefully study comparing places that had the lockdown and didn't, that you you see uh, a, 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 you, you see basically very little difference in the spread. And and the their reasoning is very simple. Um, you know, when you have a disease that's going around like this, people don't like they won't do nothing, right? They 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 probably will you know go out less. They'll probably be careful to be around you know grandma when they're sick they'll be, they'll take measures without 
without a lockdown, reasonable measures yep. that make sense in their own lives. The lockdown, what it does is it basically says, even if the re- a measure is unreasonable for you, that you're going to, you have to go see, you know, you have, your, your, your parent is dying in a hospital. You know, that's a risk I'll take. But the lockdown says, no, you can't do it. Your mom has to die alone, right? Um, that, that is the kind of thing the lockdown does. It makes, forces people to take unreasonable measures that they otherwise would not have taken to protect themselves. Whereas if you just have a more reasonable policy, like in, in Sweden, say, look, it's really high risk for older people. I'll be careful around them when the disease is spreading. People will take care. Yes. And that's what the yes. I, I, do you know, are you, you must be familiar with Larry Brilliant, the uh, smallpox expert. Yeah. Because I, 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 yeah. I interviewed him. Yeah. I interviewed him right at the beginning of the pandemic. And he, he said very clearly, he goes, we don't need lockdowns. He goes, this has been studied in smallpox. When people see illnesses, they naturally distance, they naturally pull away, they naturally do the right thing. There's no, never been a need for lockdown. But, but they used it, if you remember, the big justification for it. Oh, what is this now? Uh, this is the, the tweet uh, 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 that oh, the, the doctor mentioned tweet. a minute ago. Oh, this this is this is January that tweet. 2021. So so, but but I want to I want to point out though as a, as it pertains to uh, natural distancing versus uh, mandates, they used the fact that they were convinced that asymptomatic so called spread was a major problem with the with the pandemic. I I still don't know that there was asymptomatic spread. Was there? Let alone I, I using mean, I, it as a reason to just shut down the world. So, okay, so I think, I don't think it was a reason to shut down the world. I do think that there's some evidence of asymptomatic spread. I, I, don't, I think like, if obviously if you're symptomatic, you're more likely to spread the disease per interaction you have with somebody. Um, mm. Then you're, if you're asymptomatic, you're less, much less likely. But because you're asymptomatic, you may have many more interactions because you don't know that you're sick. Whereas if you're mm-hmm. symptomatic, you'll stay home and not, not expose other people. So, you know, there's like some math here where like, you know, the probability of any interaction resulting in the disease spreading, if you're asymptomatic, is very, very low. But you may have multiple interactions, more than if you had a few symptoms. So, um, but, but it's not a reason to lock down. In fact, it's quite the opposite, right? So like, uh, for instance, would you recommend masks if you know it's an aerosolized virus? I mean, no. not math, like, you know, your glasses fog up. That means the aerosols are escaping out the, out the top, right? Yep. Uh, you wouldn't yep. do that. Yep. Um, if, if the right. virus is going to basically spread almost everywhere, then you want to use the measures you can to, to protect the people that are most vulnerable because the most measures yep. are harmful. And that, so the fact that it's asymptomatic spread, what that means is you want to structure the measures to focus on the most vulnerable. It doesn't justify a lockdown. It justifies focus protection. It says double down on protecting vulnerable people. So I'll give you an example of what you could do. Um, you know, like airplanes have great ventilation. That's why the disease doesn't spread there. Upgrade the ventilation yep. in, in nursing homes. We spent $6 yep. trillion. Why didn't we just have a massive ventilation upgrade program in like, you know, June 2020 or something to, to upgrade nursing or tw- even 2021? Um, that would have been that would have been smart. That's 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 a consequence. That's that's the implication of asymptomatic spread. And by the way, let's remind ourselves that is precisely what the Wuhan COVID virus lab did yeah. on the heels of the whatever happened magically is they upgraded. They they turned their ventilation system into something appropriate for that virus. Yeah, I mean, I, like there's so much we could have done if we hadn't had the idea that the lockdowns were going to protect the vulnerable people. Um, this is why, like you started the segment with Tony, with Tony Fauci saying, I wanted to let the virus rip. You know, the problem was like, they had this, like, they just lacked all creativity. 
the people that were in charge of this, mm -hmm. they did not think creatively. And they thought the only mm -hmm. way to protect vulnerable people was lockdown. Instead of thinking creatively of like, okay, how do we, maybe let's offer hotel rooms to, to uh, older people living in multi-generational homes when, when, you know, when Johnny's sick, uh, Ma, grandma calls local public health, local public health offers the hotel room for a few days, right? We did that for homeless people, but we didn't do that for, for grandma. Um, Right. We organized COVID-only shopping hour, but why not home delivery for groceries for older people living at home? Why, you know, like we just we didn't yes. think creatively enough about how to protect well, the vulnerable. Look, I, not only that, how about the improvisation we normally do to to manage an illness when we don't have well-known therapeutic uh, options? We start doing stuff. We start trying things, and we were, were we were prevented from doing anything. Now, I don't know if you saw this. This Annals, Annals is finally publishing stuff about early treatment. And here, fluvoxamine budesonide works. And, and fluvoxamine was an early suggestion. We could have been doing these things. We could have tried all kinds of things. But instead, you were told, no, no, don't do anything. Send them home. Bring them back when they're not breathing. Fluvoxamine, I mean, like that would also treat the depression at the same time. I mean, I, I just, I, <laughs> sure. I, it, or, or, or protected the brain maybe like, from some of the neurological stuff that follows, uh, <laughs> follows COVID, you know, really that Sigma one receptor I mean, is I, very powerful. I think like, you know, there, there's vast wisdom in like low in doctors, like trying things out and uh, rather yes. than trying to like learn from that, um, we said, no, you, you'll lose your license. It's ivermectin is horse pace. Don't don't you dare! Like you have a disease that's like really deadly to some people, and you have doctors that want to help them. That they don't really know what to do, but they're trying things out and they're sharing information, saying, "Okay, this works. This works. This yep. this doesn't work." And you tell yep. them, yep. "If you try things out, you're gonna you're gonna lose your license." That was so so short lose your job. Lose your job. Certainly lose your job because everyone was in these these. I didn't know how many people were employees until the pandemic, and I realized that's that's another problem that medicine has. But uh, Caleb, put up the uh, Michael Sanger book cover if you could, because they they became so enamored with lockdowns because of their colleagues from Pandemic Inc. They'd been wargaming with their Chinese colleagues, and they were given this graph. I don't know if you. If I'm going to have Caleb put it up there. See that yellow line? That's the graph they were giving, and when it flatlines is when they claim they had controlled COVID by in input by inducing uh, complete lockdowns. It was going up till they locked down and then it was flat. That is a total lie. It was complete fiction. And then when it was picked up by Lombardy, Italy, that's when we decided we got it. Every, that's when the New York Times editorial board said we have to lock down. What do they? Why do they even have a, an opinion? Who are they to talk about medical interventions? But that was the the sequence. Was they were convinced they were hoodwinked by their Chinese counterparts. Then when Lombardi did it, and by the way, the Lombardi politician that did it published a book on the heels of it, saying that he did not actually intend to change the COVID pandemic so much as this was an opportunity to bring Chinese-style government to bear in Italy, which he was a huge fan of. And that was why we followed in the lockdown uh, uh, lockstep. Is yeah. that crazy? No, I, I mean, I, I there was a, uh, in February 2020, there was a World Health Organization mission to China to assess the Chinese response to the January yep. 2020 yep. lockdowns. And they came That's home right. from, from that mission and they said Blowing. the lockdown worked. And that yep, changed period. the world. And, that yep.
I agree. That that was where that was where they became you know, evangelists. They're they're like religious about this rather than scientists and clinicians. They and I, I've Jay since we last talked. I I've noticed that this is exactly where the opioid pandemic went. It was the same thing. These evangelists went out there. Pain is what the patient says it is. No American should ever feel pain. Now, 96% of the Vicodin in the world is prescribed in, in Vicodin uh, in, in the United States on the heels of that crazy, crazy idea. And they capture the VA, they capture the medical societies, they capture the Joint Commission, they capture the professional society, they capture all of that as a, as a mandated standard of care. And now we have the opioid pandemic. They did the same, it was the same playbook with this one. It's exactly the same. And at the core, there's always an evangelical physician. If Deborah Burks was an evangelist, she went around the country evangelizing, evangelizing for lockdown. And if you talk to people that were at the White House at the time, no such policy was being really systematically um uh, thought about she did it on her own and in her book she calls herself a hero for having done so so i really wonder how she feels now on the heels of this iea uh publication if she still has the same uh evangelical furor that she had for what she had done or maybe she's having second thoughts now that the fog of war is lifting maybe uh, but listen, uh, I have to take a little break here. You mentioned the World Health Organization. I want to get on to that topic uh, after the break. I, I'm sure you're aware of the One Health Alliance and the Global Digital Health Initiatives. I, I want to get your thoughts about that when we get back. Are you up for that? Sure. All right. We'll be right back after this. I suspect you've seen Susan and I gushing over Paleo Valley products. We love the taste and how well they fit into a paleo-based nutrition regimen. They're delicious and we use them for travel all the time. But there is more. We are huge fans as well of Paleo Valley's grass-fed bone broth protein. It comes in three flavors, unflavored, vanilla and chocolate. It's a powder you can add to really anything. We add it to coffee literally every day. Smoothies, baked dishes, or just hot water dissolves really easily. The bone broth protein is made with 100% grass-fed and finished bones that are free from pesticides or antibiotics and are slow simmered to extract as much collagen as possible. As we age, collagen breaks down. That's what wrinkles are. And research shows that there are significant benefits to adding a collagen source in your diet. I think it's too much to say it's changed our lives. And Susan is now reporting that after drinking the bone broth for a few weeks, her hair is stronger and longer and nails are stronger too. Try it for yourself. You can order at drdrew.com slash paleovalley and use Dr. Drew at checkout to save an additional 15%. A lot of you have been asking for more information about how to counter the adverse effects of the spike protein from COVID infections and the COVID vaccine. The spike protein is not your friend. Let's just say that. So I'm glad we have the wellness company Spike Support Formula as a sponsor, especially since renowned internist and cardiologist Dr. Peter McCullough, who's also chief scientific officer of the wellness company, is one of its champions. There's some very intriguing research around natokinase, which might be a way to take on the spike protein. Listen to this. So start, if you would, with talking about natokinase, how you got to that and where you see its application. So with the viral infection or the vaccines, the spike protein stays within the body and it's found in the heart, the brain, the vital organs, and it's causing problems. The Japanese have been using this for heart and vascular disease now for 20 years. It's safe. It is a form of a mild blood thinner that it dissolves the spike protein nearly completely. Spike support formula is the only product on the market containing natokinase, dandelion root, and a host of other antioxidants. 
all showing promise in helping you protect yourself and your family. To order this unique, specially formulated supplement, go to drdrew.com slash TWC. That is drdrew.com slash TWC. Use code Drew at checkout for 10% off today. President Trump recently issued a warning from his Mar-a-Lago home, quote, our currency is crashing and will soon no longer be the world standard which will be our greatest defeat, frankly, in 200 years. There are three reasons the central banks are dumping the U.S. dollar, inflation, deficit spending, and our insurmountable national debt. The fact is, there is one asset that has withstood famine, wars, political and economic upheaval, dating back to biblical times, gold. And you can own it in a tax-sheltered retirement account with the help of Birch Gold. That's right, Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k maybe from a previous employer, into an IRA in gold. And the best part, you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Just visit birchgold.com drew for your free info kit. They'll hold your hand through the entire process. Think about this. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does the dollar have? Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers. I do not give financial advice, and previous performance is no guarantee of future performance. Visit birchgold.com slash Drew to get your free info kit on gold. That is B-I-R-C-H-G-O-L-D dot com slash D-R-E-W. And we thank you. We are back with Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. And before the break, I was asking about this new, uh, I can only call it a, I don't know, scandal is not the right word, but but uh, it's, it's alarming me, which is uh, on the heels of these excesses and the damage done, it feels like the people that perpetrated these excesses are taking the position that we just turn the page, just move on, don't worry about it, just keep keep moving, keep keep walking forward, don't look behind. And if we don't look behind, we're not going to have an ability to adjust and not make these mistakes again. Along the heels are on the heels of this sort of um, seemingly uh, sort of desire to sweep sweep everything on the rug under the rug the. World Health Organization sweeps in and wants to usurp powers, sovereign powers above all other elected officials and all other national leaders to be able to do exactly what we just went through for any reason they so care, they so choose. And they are adding multiple layers to this where concerns about the well-being of animals and concerns about the uh, climate could supersede your health needs and those of your patients. What are we getting into with them? So the this um, the 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 idea that the World Health Organization seems to have is that we weren't able to coordinate internationally enough. There were countries that didn't didn't uh, fall in line. You know, Sweden. My God, they they were they were like recalcitrant uh, outlaws of the world uh, during the pandemic. Um, and so we need a stronger treaty that basically binds countries to do essentially what the world health organization is recommending when the next pandemic hits um so there's this like one health idea uh that, that then also expands that beyond just simply uh pandemic management but to like you know right. sort of changes in governance and and so on so that uh so that we change how we you know like our food systems and our and, and a whole bunch of other systems to reduce the likelihood of pandemics emerging now that sounds all fine. I mean, that all sounds great, like great flowery language. But the question is, what does it actually mean? So, for instance, if you go look about uh, like concretely what they mean by this one health thing, um, they have a they had just had a panel where they talked about how to predict 
uh, and re uh, reduce the likelihood of zoonoses, that is viruses or pathogens spreading from animals to humans. Um, so you have to, so now the problem, the irony here is that it might actually be, it's uh, a program like this that led to the pandemic itself, right? We right. had this, the U.S. funded, the U.S. NIH, Tony Fauci's NIAID funded a large scale program going back a decade or more to try to see which viruses were likely to make the leap to humans from animals. And so they would send scientists to bat caves in China, pull the viruses out of the bat caves where very, very few people were, bring those viruses into labs in, like in Wuhan, actually also some, to some extent in the United States, and then, uh, and then do experiments on them and, just, uh, and ask, okay, well, are these viruses likely to make the leap? What if that, that program actually led to this, the leak of this virus in Wuhan. That's certainly possible. It's, it might even be likely. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so, you know, like you have a program that the World Health Organization is like blithely saying, okay, let's go into all the bat caves of the world and pull the viruses out into labs. I, do I know that the labs that they're going to pull the viruses into have sufficient security to protect against a leak? This virus leaked out of a Taiwanese high security lab in 2021 doing research uh, on the on the virus. So yeah, I, I just think it's this is one of these things where like, it sounds like a good thing, but then as soon as you look into the details of it, it actually sounds kind of scary. I, I'm not even sure it sounds like a good thing. I mean, it's, it, it's putting, if I understand it correctly, putting, while I'm a big advocate of the well-being of animals, it's putting the well-being of animals on equal footing with humans. And I'm not sure if I want my children on the same scale, on the same, footing as as a flounder I'm, I'm not sure of that and i don't know if fish are in within there i'm not sure if fish are in their spectrum but I, maybe i don't want the same as a as a chipmunk either even though i have great respect for for nature and and, and other mammals i don't think that's right from the standpoint of health management and by the same token they want the ability to declare climate a, a pandemic priority is something at, at same status and again, now here we go again, relying on models. The parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7, a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the Inforce Plus Corollius Versicolor and Inforce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it. When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me, you have two years to live. Oh, boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, you want to, oh, boy. <laughs> he came right. Oh, there he is. They are also made with the Coriolis Versicolor Mushroom, which supports their immune system, according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President. That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain, and we also extract it in a proprietary way. And that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products. Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers. It's non-addicting. Your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to drdrew.com slash petclub247 for a discount off the 
list price. That is drdrew.com, P-E-T-C-L-U-B-247, Pet Club 247. And models are what got us into trouble in this pandemic. And now that we have real hard data, people are not wanting to look at it. It's the oddest thing ever. This is, I really, I'm in the upside down all the time now, Jay. I'm so confused. But you tell me, straighten me out. No, I, th- I I agree with you, Drew. It it doesn't make sense. Like so, like the set of people who might know what to do about climate. I doesn't include me. I mean, like it doesn't include people like me. It's not okay. epidemiologists. Like it's no. it's not frankly an yep. epidemiological problem. It's a very different problem of very different nature. Um, the idea yep. that we can like sort of put under one umbrella all of the problems of the world, and then get all the pointy-headed uh, epidemiologists together to to like design a solution to it. It is. It's. It. I. I, I mean. It, and like after after the last three years, who really can believe that? And yet, the people who designed the strategy of the last three years, they're giving themselves awards. They're like negotiating treaties. They have political power. It's going to take a concerted pushback to by sensible people, and I think, frankly, a political pushback in order to make this not happen. Um, you know, like there's there are some like things like so. For instance, uh, poor countries they don't want. To have to be under the thumb of the World Health Organization, they're when they're negotiating no. these, these no. treaties, it's the poor countries they're pushing back, saying, "Look, are you sure what you're going to be doing is right for me, uh, for right for us?" As, mm. as like, uh, I'll give you, I'll give you one again. This is not a poor country, but like a medium income country, uh, uh, South Africa. South Africa has pretty good labs, uh, and they use it to detect Omicron when it first comes out early. And mm. what does the world? What does the rest of the world do? Is the developed world do? We punish them by stopping flights in and out of South Africa. But you know, we're basically asking the whole world to to take our, their sovereignty and hand it over to the World Health Organization as if they're like some you know group of wise people who can like manage the world's problems effectively. Um and you know that's just not something that I want uh, happen at least not without like a considerable amount of like scrutiny over exactly what systems they have in mind what what they want to, what, what they put in place and I don't believe based on their their track record the last three years they're competent to do what they want to say they do they, they, they say they want to do I don't know that anybody is it's it and again the fact that they are putting their sovereignty above the independence of elected officials, and they specifically remove civil and uh, liberties and rights from their little the document. I, it, it's super crazy. Um, I, it's interesting. Do you do you ever watch the videos that John Campbell does? That uh, nurse, PhD uh, educator. He he lately has been going. Uh, I mean, he has that sardonic British wit, but I, he is seething, it seems to me. And he's brought up these issues uh, as well. This morning, he was going going over the uh, the lockdown failure document and just like, you know, why are we, why is there any more debate about this is sort of what he's he's saying. And uh, he, I, I want, I'm dying to talk to him. Did you talk to him ever? I've never talked to him. I, I've watched him on YouTube several many times. I, he he seems like a yeah. very very like the kind of guy where it's like you know let's just look at the evidence and see what there is to see yeah. and like if there's something yeah. wrong with it then I'll say it and if I it, actually what I yeah. love about him is when he's wrong he'll say it. it just it's oh, yeah. beautiful. I mean that, but, like it just and by the way that across. I that used that was something I was uh, until two years ago very accustomed to. I, I that's what my peers did. It's what I did. It's like that's 
It's what I trained my residents to do. It's like, I, I don't care if you're wrong. I just care that you learn, you have a backup plan, you have, tell me your thinking, and you're going to be wrong a lot of the time. That's the way it goes. That's the way medicine is. It's very, oh my God. So anyway, so here we are. Um, I also wanted to get into this uh, uh, morbidity and mortality weekly report uh, issues and the FOIA request. T tell me what happened there. Okay, so in 2021, the uh, the CDC touted this ma massive study. It wasn't even massive, like seven thousand patients, um, where they claim that uh, that 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 the the vaccine essentially prevented you from being hospitalized. I mean, I, I mean, let me just just to be very careful. I pulled up the 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 the, the thing that uh, that they said. Just, let me just read to you exactly what the CDC propaganda said about this study. They said they wrote unvaccinated people with a previous infection were five times more likely to have a positive COVID-19 test compared to vaccinated people. And then uh, on the same sort of uh, uh, sort of banner, they say uh, it's a study of hospitalized patients with symptoms similar to COVID-19. Okay. Now, a normal person reading that would say, well, if I get vaccinated, I'm five times less likely to be hospitalized. But in right. fact, when you look at the study, the study, what it did is it just looked at hospitalized patients. Well, how do you do a study that purports to say what's the probability of going into the hospital from being vaccinated right. by only looking at hospitalized patients? What they did is they right. took hospitalized patients with cold-like symptoms, respiratory symptoms, and uh, they ask the, the, the percent vaccinated, and then they test for COVID. And so either you have symptoms of, of pneumonia that has nothing to do with COVID, or you have symptoms of pneumonia having to do with, uh, with, with either having to do with COVID or not having to do with COVID. So the only question is, are you vaccinated against COVID? Either way, you're in the hospital. So, you know, it's yep. a really kind of a funny study uh, that, that, that didn't sort of back up, uh, that, that didn't like, it wasn't replicated by other studies that would have much more solid methodology. They put the study out and they put this propaganda out in 2021 in order, I think, really to encourage people to be vaccinated. Um, but you know you shouldn't vac you shouldn't do that kind of thing on a on a on a shaky study. You should do that on solid studies, right? Um, so yeah, there was a yeah. whole bunch of people writing them in, saying writing to them, saying like really smart people, saying you know are you, are you sure you guys got this right? There are all these methodological problems. Um, and then the CDC, uh, I, I wish I could tell you Drew what they did because uh, when people now did a FOIA FOIA, a Freedom of Information Act request to the CDC to try to find out what their response was to all of these questions about the study. How did they arrive at this very misleading propaganda um, from the from the results of the study? The, the the people that you know, journalists asking for these these basic questions that the CDC ought to be able to answer. These aren't like you know top secret documents about you know the war in Ukraine. These are like you know, like <laughs> these are like science scientific yeah. questions. The CDC responds yeah. by redacting almost all of that communication. So we just know that the, the smart people asking them methodological questions about this really crappy study, and then the CDC basically hiding from the American public what their answer was and what led them to, to sort of issue the propaganda they did. Do we have a problem? This is not specific to the CDC. I'm asking generally of the editorial process of the medical literature. Do we have a problem with the editorial um, either quality or perhaps they've been captured or perhaps they're just fearful like everybody else has been during this pandemic is there something wrong with the way the leading magazines the medical literature are being evaluated from an editorial perspective 
I, I think the answer to that is unequivocally yes. Uh, I mean, I've been publishing yeah. for decades. The last three years, I mean, I published a bunch of papers, but like it's it's the the editorial processes have been. I don't I, like how to how to like capture this. Like you have to have a, a particular party line, and that makes it easier to get yeah. your paper in. Much much easier to get your paper in. You don't have a party that party line if your research, whatever your findings are, don't happen to correspond to the the narrative of of how to how to stop the COVID from spreading or whatever, the mass work or whatever, you're going to have a very, very difficult time getting your papers published. And uh, and it, and if you do have your papers published, there's systematic attacks, nitpicking or trying to get your papers retracted. A very large number of papers that have sort of counter narrative get published, go through peer review, and then ex post are retracted because they don't meet the narrative. And then, and then there's like papers that meet the narrative that have, are so obviously poor from a methodological perspective. Like I'll give you one uh, example. There was a study published early in the pandemic, I think by the Journal of, of the American Medical Association or New England Journal and one by Lancet, a separate one by Lancet, purporting to show that hydroxychloroquine doesn't work based on some database analysis. It turns out the doctors that, that published that study made up the database that couldn't prove the database actually existed yeah. it was an entirely fraudulent database and the journals yeah. had to retract that study like very very high quality supposedly high quality journals high prominent journals retracted these studies and but not till after all the headlines that said look major study shows hydroxychloroquine doesn't work now i don't really think hydroxychloroquine the evidence that it works is very good but i will say this like you shouldn't be you shouldn't as a medical journal because you believe that publish crap science all that does is undermine the reputation of the journal and undermines the confidence the public ha has in the, the pronouncements of the journal going forward. Uh, you have to, st no matter whether you, you believe or don't believe in some, some, some idea, you have to hold to the very highest standards when you're publishing papers. You're saying, okay, well, I've gone through some process. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they just haven't done that during the pandemic. Um, it's yeah. been very, no, very I'm difficult. Used to I'm used to seeing articles go back and forth. I don't know if Drew can still hear me, but like those, they, they have an obligation, like an ethical obligation to, the when they say that, that something is, is, is right, they've, they've gone through peer review to sort of stand behind it, even if they're getting attacked. Um, and they have an obligation to publish things that are outside the narrative. And they just haven't, they've been very reluctant to do that. Um, there's this, there's a, uh, maybe when Drew's back, we can, we can talk, but there's a, there's a, there's a, there is a separate process. Oh, hooray, you're back, Drew. Do you hear me now? Okay, yes. we got a new microphone. I just grabbed a mic from the other <laughs> side of the room. But go go ahead and tell me what you were saying. Yeah, so so there there is there I mean, I think I agree with you entirely, Drew, that the that the, the, the publication process uh is in, in many ways it's it's wrapped itself around the narrative rather than trying to trying to like publish what yeah. the scientific results regardless of the narrative. Um there yeah. have been there's a separate process, this open science process. Right where like you can publish a journal article, an article before it's gone through peer review, and that actually has has allowed some of the counter narrative stuff to come through. Like that book that you mentioned, the the about the lockdown assessment, um, that actually came out earlier as a as an, in, through this open science process, and so you could mm. see and evaluate for yourself the quality of this even outside of of uh, the journals trying to like uh, sort of lock the door from results like that. So there's been like, I think both good and bad. I think the bad is the journals have shown themselves to be in, in, inadequate in policing and, and really sort of vetting the quality. And especially the CDC, that MMWR, that the CDC, I used to want to, like that was a life goal of mine to publish in there. It would be like a, you know, like a marker of success. Badge um, of honor. At this yeah. point, I just, I'd be, 
I mean, I just, I, I'm just ashamed of having uh, our national health, po- uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, agency, this public health agency, behave in such, yeah. such an unscientific way throughout the whole pandemic. Yeah. Very, very, very weird. And now we have the current uh, CDC director saying that she made decisions about whether to, you know, allow people to gather in football stadiums or whatnot based on what her friend was doing in neighboring states. And if you saw that little interview, it was just astonishing. But I, I do think, I think this very journal, I'm holding a journal up to the, the, the camera here. This caught my attention. This this very volume and number uh, all of a sudden had some really interesting questions in it that, that of the of the sword I had not seen in three years. So keep an eye on Annals of Internal Medicine. I almost feel like the editors there are are I I I, I, I don't know alive I've, I've or willing to. Is 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 it? I, I it's Annals, a great journal. You know what's interesting? I. It's a great journal. It's historically a great journal, but it was like getting a little bit, um, I don't know, it's kind of tedious. They'd have themes that would run through the whole thing. And if the theme wasn't something I wanted to read about, the whole journal was lost on me. And uh, no, no, no. Right now, you know, really interesting question. Comparing efficacy and safety of, uh, wait, wait, hold on. Oh, challenges in estimating the effectiveness of COVID-19 vaccination. What volume and issue? It's using observational data. Let me just give this particular uh, uh, article, which was, why aren't we doing age match controls going forward on the vaccine recipients. We're, why, why are we just not, why are we not even doing that? They were just, a, and I was like, an yes, why are we not doing that? They're Asking doing the Qatar, question in a journal. They, like Sweden does it, but just the United States, the CDC doesn't do that. Like, so, so, so obvious, like I, mean, I would have produced at least some actionable information. Yep. Um, that and published, it's, by it's, the way, I'll tell the you. published the Denmark study, which was the first yes, it real did. randomized study yes, of COVID. Yes, it did. And, that that study found no effective masks and its randomized study um it turns out that those, those authors tried to shop that study around to like lancet new england journal uh jama and they found no one would take the only randomized no, no, study i think i think it i i will tell you i remember as that was coming because we there was all this excitement about the danish study we're going to finally get this great high quality study and it was going to be published in the new england journal it was set up for publication there and suddenly no and then i heard oh JAMA's going to publish it and then no and then annals published it. and by the way that was when annal my dear annals started looking uh, superior to the rest in my mind but this one is uh may 23rd may, may 2023 volume 176 susan number five volume 176 number five and in this is the first time an entire journal it's not all COVID stuff but they're asking questions that seem unfettered uh, on you know normal medical literature you know questions and and reasonable studies addressing those questions um i if you wouldn't mind i would like to take some calls i think i've let me make sure that i got to everything i wanted to get did to. did you say you. may 26 175 number five no 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 yeah, I said May 2023, oh. volume 176, number five, Annals of Internal Medicine. Uh, God bless them. <laughs> so here they are. So uh, I'm going to get some calls here, if you don't mind. You, are you up for that? Sure. Okay. All right, let's do it. Uh, this is uh, Johnny. Let's see what Johnny wants to ask us. Uh, and again, you guys raise your hand, and I'll bring you up to the podium, and you'll Sorry be streaming on multiple platforms. Sorry about the mic. I don't know what happened. Uh, who cares? You had a, you wisely have a, a backup. It was ready to hand. I have one too many mics sitting around. Johnny, you have to unmute. There you are. What's up? Yeah, ask you know uh, what 
I'm I'm unclear why should there be like Nuremberg trials for what's been going on? It, it just seems there's there's been no consent. Um, the the way that people have been injured and then uh, kind of you know insisted that they continue to get shots, I, it's just unbelievable to me. All right, so ho- hold on. So I I will say one thing about that. I'll let I'll let Dr. Bhattacharya answer, uh, which is that you start threatening people with uh, really serious consequences. You're not. We're not going to get the kind of healing and consensus and evaluations that we want to to prevent. Really, what we want is for this not to happen again, more than anything else. Uh, retribution, I think, never ends up in a good place. But what do you say, Jay? No, I agree with that. Um, I mean, I think uh, there's a lot of people that have been hurt, absolutely, and I can feel it in my uh, in the people that write to me that they want justice. Mm. But I think the best way to get justice is an honest evaluation of what has happened, the mistakes that were made. Like It's just like after a patient dies, you have this morbidity and mortality conference. Yes. The idea isn't to like point blame. The idea is to say, here's what went wrong. And so you learn the lessons. And you're absolutely right, Drew, because the problem is like you have a lot of people that I think they were well-intentioned. Honestly, I don't think that they were like, you know, Dr. Evil trying to like do no, bad of things. Of course. So of course. And they that's just always the way wrong. it is. That's how evil things get done. People trying yes. to do the right thing, but they get screwy on it. But okay, yeah. So the right thing, and 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 then you say you say Nuremberg two point and people will, and then their like hackles go up, and they never admit anything wrong, and yeah. you never learn anything. Right. It's not like these people are are. There's so many of them, you can't. And there are many of them. I mean, they're all. A lot of them are like they're not bad people. They're like and they're very very bright. No. They just got this very wrong. Um. And so the, what you have to do then is do an honest assessment of what went wrong. I, I wrote a document called the Norf- Norfolk Group document. Nor- you can go to norfolkgroup.org to find it. It's 80 pages of questions that any honest COVID commission would answer. It's like what an M&M report would look like um, oh, if you were going to do one for, 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 for the COVID response. Where do you say that again? Um, Where do we get it? Where do we get it? Nor- N-O-R-F-O-L-K group at G-R-O-U-P dot org. Norfolkgroup.org. Um, and okay, yeah, it's just, it's, it it's, I wrote it with like seven of my best friends and we, we, uh, we have just, just, I mean, it's, it's a blueprint for what an M&M conference would look like. I think that's the best way to get justice. Like to, to do an assessment. Uh, Rusty, your hand is up there. You got to unmute yourself. Um, yes. Um, I, I guess just to piggyback off with that, um, last gentleman question. So you don't seem to think that this was done intentionally. I mean, given it just seems like so many doctors saw things and was, was, you know were trying to raise alarms and, and they were um, hushed. And then I was kind of curious what you guys feel about being up under the who um, now, um, hearing that there's another pandemic that'll be coming. How concerned are you about we that? Did, Rusty, we, 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 we did it. We we did address that. It is it is uh, mortifying to us uh, that what they're what they're angling for. But go ahead and address her her issue that she 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 I mean, you know there I, there is I, I, there is lingering. I'll tell you what, Jay. There's lingering in the background. This question. I I'm with you. Our peers are. I've never met a group of people that really want to do right more than our peers, even when they get it wrong. They they aim to and and they got weird and there was all kinds of psychology that got going here. I, I, it, 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 we could we could dissect the psychology all day, and it was it was rampant. There was a problem, but but in the background is this question of pharmaceutical capture. Uh, 
uh, RFK Jr. has raised that as sort of the organizing motivational factor that that's skewing things so significantly. I don't. I something's going on there, but I don't know that that's the main issue. What do you think? I think that that's opportunistic. I do think that there's capture. I, I agree with him on that. Uh, but but I think that that was an opportunistic thing, right? So like the people that uh, that that uh, worked on the vaccine, they didn't think of themselves as like evil. They thought of themselves as like potentially solving yes. uh, a, a major uh, a major epidemic, yes. right? So it's I, 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 yeah. and, and but what happened is you have fear at broad in the population, in part induced by public health and also virus, obviously. Um, and then a lot of like people opportunistically chimed in, uh, yes. in ways that like really was, was dysfunctional, right? So, so we were just talking yes. about the journals. Why would the journals editors act this way? They thought they were helping public health by reinforcing the narrative rather than just doing their job of like, you know, publishing science, evaluating publishing science. Right. Is it intentional? I mean, it's, 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 it's just, what's one of these things where like, a lot of bad things happened as a result of mm-hmm. of not necessarily bad intentions, but like a bad of opportunistic behavior in the in the face of things that shouldn't shouldn't have happened. Even the even yes. the like let's yes. say it's a lab leak. Why did that happen? It happened because there were a bunch of people that thought we could predict when the next pandemic was going to happen by going to bat caves into China and pulling them out. Right. That's a good not thing right, to be to able to predict. The world. Yeah, right. Yeah, that, that, so right. it's it's a much more complicated thing than if you have a doc, you know, like a a, a, a supervillain, and then you just put the you just yeah. send Superman to go kill the supervillain. No, you don't. You can't do that here. Yes. It's it's, yes. it's, it's yes. not like that. Yes, that's, very, that's so true. It's kind of comical to think of it that way. But and there may have been some, not, some bad actors within it. But again, going back to the opioid pandemic, it was the same thing. the The drug companies were duplicitous. They weren't. They weren't out to do. They were. They were motivated to make money, but they ha- had an opportunity created by the pain management world who thought that the drug company was their perfect ideal partner to help them save the world from pain. And off they went to destroy tens of thousands of lives, maybe hundreds of thousands. Yeah, certainly. I think that what you need is then, it is not like Nuremberg too. What you need is systematic reform. So there's another side, like so, like the checks and balances. We do this with our government, right? So like the the judicial branch checks the executive and legislative. We have to have some other side it's not like you can get yep. rid of the drug company interests, but you have to have like an independent FDA that's not funded like in large part by the by by the drug companies. You have to have a have a CDC that's not, that has a much broader set of people in it than just you know pointy headed epidemiologists who want to contain disease and don't care about yes. psych, you know psychiatric illness or something, right? You have to have yes. a, a a reform that allows you know multiple minds people disagree to have a way to disagree with each other uh constructively in at the heart of public health and that's i think the, to me that's the, the central reform we need yeah i think that's an that's an excellent idea and and there's actually unfortunately a wrinkle in the constitution when it comes my son's lawyer was pointing this out to me that that the wrinkle is that in an emergency the public health is given complete and total authority and that is a problem. That's not. That's not. That's a. That's a bug, not a feature. And we, like you said, we need something that's able to mitigate that, can push back against it. Uh, it's there's just so many excesses. I, I, I. By the way, um, I don't think I brought raised this with you, but I noticed that a lot of the state public health officials were pediatricians. Uh, 
And of course, pediatricians are the vaccinologists. They're the ones dealing with vaccines most of the time. And they did not have good judgment when it comes to an adult illness. They had bad judgment. They weren't trained to have judgment about adult illness. And I think that that was another thing that sort of came out during this pandemic. And because they were unfettered in their authority, that judgment came through in ways that harmed people. Completely agree. I mean, like, what, like I, okay, so I have two hats. I, have, I wear the hat of a doctor and a, or the hat of an economist. And I noticed early in the mm -hmm. pandemic, if I wore the economist hat, I'm not allowed to talk. What, I mean, what, what expertise does an economist have about, you know, like de devastating the world economy and what health, what consequences it will have on the health of the population? Huh. Um, <laughs> I mean, you just need, huh. I mean, these are very, very complicated questions. You need, and they're very hard. There's no one person that can actually grok the, the whole of it and make wise choices. You have to have hard conversations with people, lots of different kinds of expertise in order to get the right answer. Yeah. And the idea that public health has the expertise to order the world and figure out exactly the right thing to do it's just it's 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 just wrong it's just and and i don't see how anyone yeah. can look at the last three years and come to that conclusion uh, the world health organization's new treaty is is a move in the wrong direction but it's also an opportunity though to, yeah. i mean I, you, you mentioned rfk jr mm. i i think it is really great that both parties now have uh, have candidates prominent ones that that oppose the lockdowns we're going to have that conversation during this presidential election season. And, and I think both parties need to come to grips with the fact that, uh, about, about the harms. Like once everyone agrees that the lockdowns were a disaster, and I think we're headed there, again, both parties, um, then, then we can really make progress. You know, like the Iraq war, at, at first, you know, everyone, it was like bipartisan agreement in favor of it. And now yeah, I think yeah. most people in both parties agree it was a disaster, right? So it's, I think that's where we're headed with yeah. these lockdowns. Well, I don't, your, your I don't, mouth to God's ears. I have to change it. I think in the political arena, I think they're going to stay away from it. I, I feel like they always RFK av won't. avoid it, you know, I mean, well, maybe, DeSantis but won't. you don't think so? Because mm -hmm. it always seems like they just ignore well, for it. Both and of them, I also think Jay's, Jay is telling us something because he knows DeSantis. I think he's, I think he's telegraphing something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, it is, it is like the central part. <laughs> Okay, one of his major arguments for 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 his run, right, is like he, he managed Florida. Florida has lower all cause excess deaths through the pandemic than than California does, and, and they kept schools open, they kept businesses open. Disneyland was closed. A Disney World stayed open in in you know twenty twenty. Um, so you have you have like a, a, an argument on the Republican side, and on the D Democratic side, you have RFK Jr., who's like the anti lockdown idea is the center of his campaign. He wrote that major book, you know, the real Tony Fauci, it? where it's oh, really lockdown. Yeah, I know. I just yeah. feel like it's never talked about, like in. Well, I, 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 that's why we talked to Jay because he has exquisite judgment, and I'm going to put my bet on what he's saying. It makes me feel better, if nothing else. And I'm, <laughs> I'm going to hope that we do, we do get there. And and I and we've talked to RFK Jr. and he he's not afraid to talk about anything. That's for sure. He'll talk yeah. about it. And, you know uh, what I'm going to I keep thinking about as I. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, sorry, Susan. Go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, I, 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 think I keep we thinking about Ram Yogendra, mm -hmm. who said that the, you know, politics aren't coming into play because people are getting disabilities from the mm -hmm. vaccine and we don't want to have to cover people who have lost their ability to work and, you know, how it becomes, you know, a big a financial thing, financial problem. Yeah. 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 And I like, I just don't think, I feel like there should be some protection because 
you know, people took the vaccine knowingly that they were going to help the better good, but then it, it destroyed people's lives. Some people. And there's no coverage. Like, yep. I mean, if you can't work, you should be able to get disability. Bigger topic. I don't know if you have an opinion about that. I mean, I, I do think that that uh, we have been very stingy with the vaccine um, vaccine relief fund. Uh, I mean, other countries have had, you know, have actually compensated uh, vaccine injured people. In the U.S., we basically gaslit vaccine injured people and not, mm-hmm. you know, disperse mm-hmm. very much of the money from those funds. I mean, I think you know, it's it's uh, we absolutely owe people uh, that obligation to like recognize when they actually have been hurt by a, a product that they, that maybe you were forced to take. Right, because of the because of the mandates or yep. something. Um, so yeah, I agree yep. with Susan about that. I know when you're forced to do something and it doesn't turn out well, they should protect you. Barry, just... Barry, you're a speaker there. Go ahead. Yes. Hi, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, Jay and I banter sometimes on Twitter, but uh, maybe this is a question for for Drew. Do you do you think uh, with this whole pandemic thing that that Fear played a, a large part in people actually getting sicker because it's, uh, you know, like our public health, health director in L.A. here would uh, say, you know, if your lips are turning blue, call the paramedics <laughs> and didn't offer any other suggestions. And it, and it really, right. it, was a, it was a terrible, terrible way to do things, quite honestly. So, so Barry, they, they, they did not, the th- one of the things that drove me absolutely insane during the Alpha and Delta hours Days was the fact that they were public health was not using its platform to educate people on how to manage the illness when they got sick, what to ask their doctors for, what a monoclonal antibody is, what steroids could do for you, what budesonide is, St- there, and it may be something as crazy as fluvoxamine because there was some good data on that. Nothing, zero. And of course, monoclonal antibodies were exceedingly effective at that stage in the pandemic. Silence. Florida puts together mobile man, vans where they're distributing monoclonal antibodies, has huge success, and then the monoclonal antibodies are withdrawn from Florida. They actually are shut down. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever, ever, it, it was just reprehensible. I've never seen anything like this. So I was taking issue with the fact that public health seemed uninterested in health, number one. And then number two, yes, they were using fear, and fear may not have had a direct result on medical illness, I guarantee you it affected the, the mental health uh, catastrophe we're seeing right now, particularly in younger kids. Like I said at the beginning of this conversation, you take a nine-year-old and you tell them, shelter in place. Every night, our mayor was on TV saying, shelter in place. That is what you tell people when a nuclear bomb is en route to your house. Shelter in place. Then, if you go outside, you're going to kill your parents and your grandparents, and you're nine years old. You don't think that's going to have mental health consequences? The hell with these people thinking? It's disgusting. Jay. I mean, amen, brother. I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, it just, it, we had, we, we basically uh, used fear as a public health tactic. I had always thought that yep. public health had an ethical obligation not to cause fear in the population. To like to reduce Correct. fear, to give people tools to deal with with fear, like real science science based tools to deal with the threats they face. We did the exact opposite, and we have seen the consequences of it in the popular. Like, people are still hold. I, I, okay, I mean, this is I should I probably shouldn't say this, but like I'll just I just I just will. Like my my in laws, my mom, my 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 wife's parents in their mid eighties, they're still. I think they've come out of their house three times in the last three years. They're not going to come. Like, oh son's graduation i mean i I just it's just it's heartbreaking i can't blame them i mean it's public health that caused that fear 
uh, and and you know yep. they're they're vaccinated. I, I mean, it's just it's just heartbreaking to watch. Terrible. That 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 is awful. Yeah, I um, am gravely concerned about the way they did this. But uh, as much of a fan of Anthony Fauci as I was, and how helpful he was during the AIDS pandemic epidemic, um, we did use fear back then. And I, I see now his tactic back in the 80s was to use fear in the AIDS. I didn't recognize it at the time, and we congratulated ourselves for changing very difficult-to-change behaviors, but we used fear. You have sex with somebody, you're going to have sex with every person that person ever had sex with. Remember all that? <laughs> that was explicit that. fear. And high school students were damaged by that. If you talk to somebody who was in high school during all that, they will tell you it was traumatic for them. It was problem. It was not healthy for them. And so he seems to like to use fear, for lack of a better way of saying it. He seems to use it as a technique. And here it just went into full throttle. And can it's, can it is a terrible idea. Like it's a, it's a, like I think that that's such an important point, Drew. And I want to like put an underline on it. Like the, the, you know what what that does then is is okay. Maybe you have some short term gains in getting people to take something seriously, but what it does is it yep. also, in addition to the psychiatric problems, the psychological problems it causes, it stigmatizes people. It creates stigma around the disease that you wouldn't otherwise have, which then hurts people. Like in the HIV days. I think that fear mongering actually hurt HIV, like with um, with uh, it, it actually hurt gay gay men, because now they're stigmatized I, I as a source. Um, and here with yep. during COVID, with that stigma was like you know young people are are ve vectors of disease, mosquitoes like mosquitoes. I mean, it, we stigmatize children. Um, you know, yeah. and I think that that fear mongering is a deeply unethical tactic on the by, that public health uses because we are we have in our hind brains it's like built in a, a scare scare of, of infectious disease fear of infectious disease you know like you read all yep. of the ancient books like they they have this you know like lepers are the bad guys you have to expel them from yep. your presence um civilization is essentially like an undoing of that so that we can be in community with each other be you know it, it sort of you know benefit one from being near each other um and public health undoes that essentially in order to, like, to combat this disease, it was deeply unethical and deeply counterproductive. Yeah, fear fear is not, particularly not panic. And I blame the press as much as I blame the public health community. The public health community was using it as a conscious tactic. The, the press were using it to capture eyes and whip it into full-fledged panic. They should be they should evaluate themselves. And of course, they won't either. Jay, you've been very kind with your time, very generous. I, I can talk to you all day. I do, there's, there's such conversations, and I appreciate you coming back and talking to me every once in a while. It's it's a big deal for me, so thank you. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's, I've always told you, um, Drew, it's, it's, it's just like an honor to talk to you. I've, I've looked up to you for a very long time, so. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's I, I don't know that I've had a higher, uh, uh, you know, uh, feeling about something and then you you telling me that that's a big deal to me so thank you and and i look up to you sir and uh you've as like i've said repeatedly you've become the poster child for the excesses of this thing that they chose to attack you is all you need to know about how off base they were how far in the wrong direction they had gone uh so well if i can do anything as i always say please call upon me i'm happy to support you any way i can and uh, we'll look for jay on Twitter, at DRJ. Run for president. Bhattacharya, yeah, go run for president. Or, do, or at least, how about senator or governor or something here in California? 
uniquely unsuited for this. I wouldn't wish that, that on my best friend, but. <laughs> yeah, so, so am I. People keep asking me the same thing, but but I I, I get the impulse. We're we're desperate for, you know, leaders that are thoughtful and honest and not yeah. you know, it's hard to not win, prone though. to excess. I think, I think so. there's some interesting people running for president in both parties. It'll be it'll be interesting to see what what happens. I hope. Well, so. I'm just I. I'm just interested that I, I really appreciate RFK stirring the pot. And I think DeSantis is doing the same thing. They're bringing stuff up that we wouldn't be talking about otherwise. And I think it's so important and so refreshing. So here we are. Now, Jay Bhattacharya, everybody, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. You betcha. And uh, Susan's taking a deep breath. Why? What's up? There's our show. You were, up shows. You were censored today by your microphone. What happened? I know. Lyle in there on the 12th. That's that Monday. So uh, Joe Latipo on the 13th. I blame it Kelly on Victory. new baby. And so we're only doing two shows next week, guys. Is that correct? I believe that is true. Yeah. Because yeah. Caleb has Caleb to, has a wedding. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, all of my all of our millennial age friends had to put off their weddings during the pandemic. So now all of a sudden everyone's getting married. I have so many weddings this year it's Good. it's time the ones that Very survived cool. through the lockdowns they're like okay i guess we can get married now <laughs> so it is monday and tuesday uh oh interesting uh i have some scheduling i've got to work with since we are doing a monday show no one told me about that uh that's at three o'clock is it caleb on monday it's on the schedule mm -mm, it's not on mine oh caleb been at three o'clock every day yes that's the no, show with lionel about, uh, yeah Lionel and Mark, yes. Yeah, I, I've actually been saying it's on uh, Joe. I've, I've been talking about Joe Latipo's, and I've been saying Wednesday for that one, but it's actually going to be Tuesday. All right, uh, thank you. We've been watching. Here we go again, Caleb. Anything yeah. going on uh, Restream or on uh, Rumble <laughs> Rants I should know about, Susan? I know you were in there talking to the guys. Somebody on YouTube heard me talking and goes, who was that woman? <laughs> All right, well, put Susan's picture Sorry, up alongside me here so they can know who she is. I want people to get help, you know? It just breaks my heart. Yeah, this has been a this has been an unusual experience, and I, I was thinking about you know kids that are sort of young adult age. It's it, it, how would it have been different if there was a war for them? Same, would it would have disrupted their lives just as much as if there'd actually been a war, and or if they even had to serve in a war, it would have been just as disruptive as it actually was. So you have to learn from this. It is like a war, so you yeah. have to learn. So and hopefully Move we can come out of it. Uh, I, again, I like Jay. I'm looking to improve. To get also, better. go to exitthewho.com and sign the petition, even though it it's passed, just because. Yeah. And check, you know, where Show your, your congressman is, and write a letter. Great. All right, guys. Express yourselves. Appreciate it very much. We'll be here on Monday, three o'clock. See you then. Thank you so much. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. Yeah.